Jesus. Wonderful Father, how wonderful you are. You're so great, Lord. There's no one like you, Lord. Father, the devil's been trying for thousands and thousands of years to try and come to that, but there's no one that can touch you, Lord. There's no one that can come close to your glory, your majesty, Lord. When you speak, Lord, it's like thunder, oh God. Lord, but to us, Lord, who have ears to hear, it's the most beautiful words that have ever been spoken, Lord. Father, how we just love to come in your presence, to worship you, Lord, to thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Thank you for your redemption. Thank you, Lord, that you thought of us before the foundation of the world. For, Lord, truly, we'd all say you sure wouldn't have picked us in our sinful state. But, Lord, you chose us long before that. Lord, that you knew we'd come to a place where we'd hear the word. We'd come to a place, Lord, where we'd know you, we'd recognize you. Lord, not by our own self, but, Lord, because you predestinated us to that purpose, Lord, that we would come to the adoption of sons and daughters of God. Father, what a great plan that you put in motion. Father, we just want to submit ourselves to you this morning. Ask that you'd had the preeminence. Lord, you led Brother Ed in this way to have me come behind this desk. But Lord, I'm just a man. I ask you'd come and take the gift, Lord. That you come and speak the words as you laid them on my heart, Lord. And make it real to the believer. Both those that are here, those that are streaming in. Lord, I pray everything would just work out right with the technology and different things, Lord. That it wouldn't be a hindrance. But Father, we'd receive what you have for us this morning. We love you, Lord, and we commit all things to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's take our Bibles together. Thank you, musicians and the worship leader. God bless you. Amen. Amen. We'll turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 28. If you will, I... I can find it. It's not in Samuel. It's not in Kings. It's in Chronicles. First Chronicles chapter 28. I greet you all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So good to see you, each one. Certainly love you all. It's good to see you. Amen. God is so good to us to bring us all together. I just like to see different, different faces all the time. And and it's, it's wonderful. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Good to see the O'Millions. God bless you. Amen. First Chronicles chapter 28. I want to take a thought this morning, and I, I for some reason doubt we're going to get through it, but um, I want to take a thought on the maturing of a thought. The maturing of a thought. And I want to 
I'd take for a subtitle, Understanding the Battlefield. As we know, the greatest battle ever fought is in the mind. And then we need to, Brother Renham says, you know, you need to know the tactics of the enemy, but also you need to understand your own weaponry as well and what you have to defeat the enemy with. And I, I, I want to, if we will, I, Brother Ed preached a little bit for about five minutes, and that might be most of the preaching you get this morning. We'll just try and take it slowly, so you can just stay with me, and we'll, we'll, we'll make it simple by the grace of God to understand. And, and uh, First Chronicles chapter 28, we'll just read one verse here, then we'll turn over the page to chapter 29. But chapter 28 and verse 9 says, And thou, Solomon, my son... Know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart, and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts, and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. And if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever." Amen. Let's turn over to chapter 29 and verse 17. Say thank you, Sister Sharon, for that that song this morning. We have a direct line. If you seek him, he'll be found of you. Amen, Sister Jeanette. God bless you. There you are. God bless you. I appreciate that wonderful spirit with that song. Amen. Just keep pressing the battle. You got a storm? Don't worry about it. Storms end. Just keep trusting to the Lord. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 17, and it says, I know also, my God, that thou triest the heart and hast pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of mine heart, I have willingly offered all of these things. And now have I seen with joy thy people, which are present here, to offer willingly unto thee. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of thy people. And prepare their heart unto thee. And give unto Solomon, my son, a perfect heart, to keep thy commandments, thy testimonies, and thy statutes, and to do all these things, and to build the palace for the which I have made provision. Amen. May the Lord have blessing to the word. You may have your comfortable seats. Let's turn over, if you would, over to Genesis chapter 6. I, I'm not really going to speak very much on David and Solomon as much as I want to take the principles that are laid out in those scriptures of your thoughts and the imaginations of your heart and the imaginations of your thoughts. And there's so much that David just breaks down there just to say, There's something that God's looking on that goes so much more beyond the outward man. It goes even beyond what we think in our minds, but rather as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And now in in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. There we go. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5 all the way down to verse 7. And he says this. It says, And God saw the wickedness of the man of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, 
and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowl of the air, for it repented me that I have made him. So now this is right. This is the antediluvian world where now God begins to, he writes, and as as he's inspiring Moses to write, he's saying, I knew the wickedness. I saw the wickedness. I seen that the imaginations of their heart, it wasn't just that there was an evil thought that came by their way, but rather it was continually evil. There, there, there was, it was something that was going on and that, that it, was, it was constantly evil before me. But I want to you jump down to chapter 8. Chapter 8. And verse 20, which is now after the flood. And verse 20, and it writes, And Noah builded an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast, and of every fowl, every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I just want to say, I'm not going to get into that as much as I'd like to, but that sweet savor is so important before the Lord because it was the prayers of the saints that go before him as, a, as incense, as a sweet-smelling savor unto him that we need to be offering upon the altar of our heart prayers unto the Lord because it's something about that that is pleasing to God. As David writes, let his heart, give him a perfect heart. Don't let that heart be bad. How is it going to be bad? How is God looking? He looks on righteousness with pleasure. He looks on uprightness pleasurably because there's something about that that he looks at and it's pleasing to God but now as it continues down a sweet savor and the Lord said in his heart I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth now God had earlier before the flood he was saying that the imaginations of man's heart it's continually evil but now after the flood it's almost like a repentance there it is a repentance really of what he's done where he's saying listen I'm not going to do this again because I've realized or I know rather not that I realize because God can't realize but God knows all things but he know that it's 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 continually evil or not that it's continually but the imaginations of a man's heart is evil from his youth in other words we're born in sin we're shaped in iniquity came in this world speaking lies. The serpent seed is all mixed up because once it's come through the flood, now you've got somehow, as Brother Dwayne was preaching about last Sunday, the serpent seed made its way through. Right? So he's saying, it's all, it's all mixed up in this way. It's, I'm not looking at saying, this is the son of Adam, this is the, this is the evil one, but rather, I'm looking on the heart of man. And I recognize that in the imaginations of a man's heart, that in the imaginations of his spirit, rather, that he is evil from his youth. That you don't have to teach a child how to lie. You don't have to teach him how to cheat. Somehow there's something in him that just when he realizes it performs his purpose, he goes and does it. Or she. But now he says, neither will I again, any, will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. And the Lord said, I will destroy, oh, no, wrong verse. And while the earth remaineth, verse 22, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. Amen. And I just want to take up one more scripture here that you don't have to turn to. You put it on the screen, Proverbs 22, verse 15. I'm just laying this in as a foundation before I get to you. I, I brought a whole lot of slides for you, so I hope it just becomes real simple. But uh, for Proverbs 22, foolishness is bound in the heart of the child. 
Solomon begins to pick up on the wisdom of what God's speaking of, saying, listen, foolishness is bound in the heart of the child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from them. Once again, I'm not going to preach on child raising, but rather there's a principle there. That, 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 that you're born that way, it's bound that way, but there's a way that God has provided to help you to, to, to put that child or push that child in the right direction. And the rod of correction shall drive it, foolishness, far from them. I want to turn to the New Testament now in Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 16. It says this, and, 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 and Jesus said, Are you also yet without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatsoever entereth into in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the draught? Now it's almost seemingly like that hardly needs to be explained. When you eat something, it goes in your belly, it digests, and it goes down the sewage. That's how it happens. You take the nutrients out of it, and that feeds your body. He's explaining, saying, You have a flesh. No, you're not. That what you eat, that's not what's defiling what God's looking at. But you have a flesh. But he says, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart. They defile a man. And I say, now let's go deeper than that flesh. That just is what it is. It's unredeemed. When we get to the other side, it'll be a di- we'll have a theophany body. It'll be different. We'll be in a glorified state. But rather, when we're here, you got a flesh. But now there's something deeper where you have a spirit. That in that spirit, there's thoughts that come. And now you, in that, you begin to speak things. And from what comes out of that, you can, it, that's what can defile you. And it says, for out of the heart proceedeth, proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. Oh, say that today, huh? <laughs> to shake with unwashed hands defileth not a man. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> but here Jesus is, is being speaking of, and he says, you know, these evil thoughts, they start somewhere. I was speaking to somebody, and I, I, I'd watched a couple of documentaries on a couple of, of horrible men, serial killers and different things, to understand, to try and go back into their childhood, to try and understand where, how did they get that mentality. It came from something in their childhood that began to mold them, that in their heart, they begin to look for some kind of a revenge to that person that did it to them. And then out of that revenge of, of, of what they did to them, they begin to expand that into others, because it, but it all comes from inside. It's not all of a sudden, well, I killed someone with a gun, it's the gun's fault. No, it came from in that person's heart that they had an idea that this is what they wanted to do. And Jesus is saying, this is what defiles a man. You, you don't go around and say, well, listen, I backstabbed somebody, or I said something, I destroyed their reputation. It's not so much what you said, but it started somewhere. It started as a thought, and as that thought, it began to mature into something else, till finally it began to come out from you where now it's doing the damage or it's bearing the fruits of where that thought came from. Not to keep you turning back and forth, but let's go back to Deuteronomy for a moment. I just want to take this 
and establish just how God knows our thoughts. Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 20. This, is, this scripture is just absolutely phenomenal to me. It says, For when I, I shall have, for when I shall have brought them into the land, in other words, it doesn't happen yet, but when I, when I will, which I swear unto their fathers, that floweth with milk and honey, and they shall have eaten and filled themselves in wax and fat, then will they turn unto other gods and serve them and provoke me and break my covenant. I want you to notice, he says, I haven't brought them there yet. They haven't got to land of milk and honey yet. They haven't eaten and filled themselves yet. They haven't waxed in fact yet. But I know when that happens. This is what they're going to do. And if you go to the next verse, Brother Mark, and it says, And it shall come to pass when many evils and troubles are befallen them that this song will testify against them as a witness, for it shall not be forgotten out of the mouth of their seed. Amen. In other words, this was something that was put in their remembrance and it would begin to be spoken of them. Oh, yeah. For I know their imagination which they go about even now before I have brought them into the land which I swear. So here's God saying, I know their thoughts. I know what they're saying even though no, but the outward verbal things that are being spoken is I can't wait to get there. We've got to land this phone with milk and honey. It's going to be amazing. Praise the Lord. And then we've got to go around in the desert because our fathers did these things. And now you've got another generation that's coming up and they're going to possess the land. But still God says, I know what's going to happen. I know the imaginations of your heart. I know that you're looking forward to this for the wrong reasons. You're wanting to get to a land flowing with milk and honey because you want the milk and honey. In other words, you're sick and tired of what you got. You want more of this. And when you get that, guess what? It's not going to be enough because you still got that flesh on the outside. You still got that unreading flesh that all of a sudden it says, well, I want more and we want more. We want more. It has to be a work that's done on the inside. That's why he had to tell Joshua, take a sharp knife, cut off the excess flesh. Why? It was a, it was a, it was a type that in order to go into that land, you have to be circumcised, which our spiritual circumcision is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can't go into the you can't possess all the promises of God without the Holy Spirit because that gives you full obedience to the Word of God, entitles you to the token, it entitles you to the promises where now you can take Him at His Word and it shall come to pass. But there has to be a work on the inside because He says without that this is what's going to happen. And if you follow it down, I'm not preaching on it this morning, but if you follow it down, you find about every fourth generation. They just forgot all about the promises. They went out and got other gods, and then they started calling on the Lord, and then the Lord brought them back, and you started another cycle. And about the fourth generation. See, how did that happen? What about the circumcision, Brother Andrew? Wasn't that just a, they had to do that? Yeah, they were supposed to do it, but you find when they were out there in the... Um, in the desert, wandering around, they somehow forgot to circumcise their children. So when they came and they got to the place where they were ready to go in the promised land, God has to tell Joshua, remember what happened there before you left Egypt? God, do it again. Because you got a bunch of young people here that didn't get it. My. Let's turn on that, that, that slideshow, brother, brother Mark. If you, let's go to that.
you're probably going to want to keep the lights on because it's going to be, I'm probably going to keep it up there for most of the service, brother, unless you can't, really can't see it. But Now this is a very familiar, I'm just going to run through this really quick so that you have it in your mind. How these things can be so misused. When the Holy Spirit comes in your flesh, it does something for you. When it comes in your spirit, it does something for you. It can take those things away, give you a new spirit. Brother Brown speaks about that. When it comes down, it ignites in the soul. Then it's there in the soul that that comes. And now it's just faith. There is no more doubt. There is no more unbelief. But now even in all of that, you can begin to still creep up. You find, you say, I'm born again, therefore everything should be wonderful, right? Well, unfortunately, there's still the devil, right? He's still there to plant thoughts in your minds, but he can't plant thoughts in your soul. That's sealed to the day of your redemption, but still he comes back into your soul. And now there has to be where that inward man begins to push outward, and something from there, which we're going to get into a lot more, but then it takes the Holy Spirit there. Now, here's where we are. Maturing of a thought, understanding the battlefield. Can you read that okay? Is that? No? Okay. Maybe turn one light off, brother. All right. There we go. That better? A little bit better. Okay. Don't worry. This is probably one of the smallest quotes. Well, the Brenham says this in the message, Revelation chapter 2. He said, who comes in? Talking about the intervale. He says, who comes in? Methodists, Baptists, Presbyterians, Pentecostals, whosoever will. Right? That's the promise in Acts chapter 2. It's to whosoever will receive it. He says, that veil, you know that what that veil is that veils your heart from it. He says, are you ready? That veil is called self-will. What's holding you back from getting in there? What's holding you back from that new birth? It's self-will. He says, do you get the picture now? He says, those senses out there, the senses on the body and on the senses of the, the soul, which is actually the spirit, this is before he created, it's 1961. He says, and the veil between that and the holy place, the holiest of holies, the only way you can get in there is to have self-will for whosoever will. But listen to what it talks about. He says, well, whosoever, and shake hands, intermerce, no, no, no. He says, whosoever will come beyond the veil. He says, whosoever will, let him tear it down. The curtains of his own will. That's as far as self-will goes. Not I can't will myself to get the new birth, but rather I can will it that I tear down my own curtains. I tear down my own reservations to, to, to giving in completely to God and let God come into my heart. The scripture says, let the mind that was in Christ be in you. Not just take it and do it and do it. No, you have to just allow it. Your part is in repenting and getting down and, and, and pulling down all those walls, but allowing that. It says, there's Christ on his judgment seat in the human heart. It says, oh, he says, I say, I can tell the dirty jokes that don't condemn me. Why? There ain't nothing that I could condemn me. There ain't nothing there. He says, I don't hurt me to do this. Don't hurt me to do that. But if you jump right on down, there we go. There's nothing there to judge you. That's why those things don't happen. Why? Because when Christ is on your heart, that's Christ on his judgment seat. That's why when you receive the new birth, you've already been judged. You don't have to come into the white throne judgment because that's Christ in you on the judgment sheet. But rather than there's something in there now 
that condemns you from all these things. You can't do all these things anymore. Smoking cigars, playing cards, telling dirty jokes, going around cheating, whatever. It says, but when Christ comes in, you've created an altar on your heart, and your sins are taken Hallelujah. daily. Amen. Amen. And the great St. Paul said, I die daily. Nevertheless, I live, but not me. Christ liveth in me. There's the inner veil. Oh, brother, sister. Amen. That's the intervail. Amen. I want to just take it, and, and, and now we're going to swap to the thoughts of God for a moment because we're created in His image. Amen. We're in His image. And as, as we look at the maturity or the maturing of a thought, you recognize that the same things happened in the mind of God. He says this, and he says, there's only one life, one eternal life, spirit, one eternal life, and that's God. God alone, he is eternal. But then we, being his children, are part of him. That is the attributes of his thinking. And the thought is expressed and becomes a word. Then each individual in here, in this room, that possesses this eternal life was before the foundation of the world in God's thinking. It's the only way it could be because you're an attribute. That's an expression of a thought. Has become a word. And a word has taken life and it's eternal. That's the reason we have eternal life in the same principle that the great Son of God, the Redeemer, we become sons and daughters of God through the same Spirit by the same foreknowledge of God. Amen. Brother Mark, could you scroll down on that, on the presenter view? Sorry. So I can see what's coming up. There we go. Okay. Thank you. There we go. Now, take me back to where it was, did you? <laughs> Perfect. Now, a thought, the maturity of a thought. We're going to come back to that quote about the thoughts of God's. But a thought begins as a prevision, or with a prevision. When you receive a new thought, it's to give you the vision of something that could be. Brother Ed preached about it, or preached about it in the first five, ten minutes, about having a vision. But a thought comes, a thought is something that it puts an idea in your mind. At that moment, it's harmless. That's in your spirit, that's in your mind. It could be in your imagination, it could have come from your affections, it could have been brought up from your memory, it could have been uh, in your conscience. But it's a, it's a prevision, a new thought. This isn't, this isn't an old thought, because I want to get into that for a moment. But a new thought be, begins with a prevision. But you have to ask yourself, where did that thought come from? Because we, we, we use the, the statement of, you are not a thought generator. You and I. We are thought processors. Okay? A thought has to come from an outside inspiration. Either comes from one of two places. It can come from Christ. Or it can come from the Antichrist. It's either from the word or it's from the devil. It's either from the tree of life or it's from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You can put as many words there as you want. It comes from Christ or it comes from the Antichrist. It's, it comes from one place. That is concerning 
a new thought. Brother Branham says this. He says in the message, the conflict between God and Satan. He says, but do you know you have to ignore before in order to believe the devil's lie, you have to ignore or deny God's truth first before you can believe the devil's lie. You ever think of that? You have to deny the truth first before you can have a lie, right? You have to deny. He repeats it over and over and over again. You can't accept the devil's lie unless first you you reject the truth. That thought came from somewhere, but in order to accept the devil's thought, you have to reject God's thought. And in order to accept God's thought, you have to reject the devil's thoughts. This that thought begins with a prevision, but there's stages to a thought as I begin to ponder on it and, and look at different things on it. But really, if you look at it through the message, it goes through a few different thoughts. And that is, when, then once you have a prevision of a thought, you then have to decide if you want to give that thought permission to remain. In other words, that's the moment you either accept or reject that thought. You have to give that thought permission to say, I like this thought. I'm going to ponder on that for a while. I'm going to meditate on this. I'm going to think on this. Now you've given a new thought that's come at you, and you've now given it permission to be in your mind. But but, but in all of that, the, the, the question you need to stage here between these two points is, where'd the thought come from? The Brown says in the greatest battle ever thought, he said, then if Satan can get through there, get by these conscience and all these other things, then he can get right down here to the end, the soul in the mind. He's talking about the spirit. If it can get down, if you allow him in, then he can begin to cultivate thoughts in your mind, in your spirit. And he says, now if we can get to you, you'll never look at one of them until first you have to let him in here. You have to let him in through the mind. When, when he gets in, he's got control. Then what does he do? He begins to use the conscience. He begins to use these other outlets. What is he using? He begins to use your memory. He'll bring things up, sins of the past, mistakes of the past. He'll begin to use your affection. You remember how you used to like this? You remember how you used to love that? You'll hear a song and you'll, oh, I used to really like that music. And oh, he begins to use your conscience and he begins to use your imagination and put you in some kind of place that you think, this is my happy place. What is it? Satan's putting you in a place to waste your time, really. Well, he's using those things, your imagination, your conscience, your memory, your reasons, your affection. If he can get control of those things, then he can begin to use your see. He can begin to operate through your flesh. How? You see some kind of lustful-looking image there, and you can't help but look at it. Why? It didn't start on the flesh. I preach to the young people, you can't blame your eyes for looking. It started in the mind. That something on the mind said, look at that. And you accepted that thought and you begin to look at that. But now it says that, and, and, you're, you're, and he says, he began to use all those different little channels as long as he could get in above this one here. He's got to come to your mind first. If you accept it, listen, it can batter against you, but it can't get you until you accept it. The thoughts of the devil, he can put as much thoughts as he wants at you. He could even throw, I'm going to say a word here, he's going to throw, he could throw thoughts of suicide at you, but he can't make you do it if you don't accept it. If you just throw it out. He can throw thoughts of pornography at you, young man, and if you don't accept it, he can't do anything with it. You've got to do the job. 
So we've been through this, but now there's another stage. After you've given it permission, after you've given it a prevision, you've got the prevision, you've given it permission, but then the thought comes, you, after you've given that thought permission by the reasoning, then you have to make provision to act upon it. There's another step here because once you've given it permission, all of a sudden you, there, there becomes a convoluted idea in your mind, how I'm going to bring this to pass. How am I going to make this thought happen? What am I, I'm talking about the maturing of a thought. It starts out as a thought. But then you start to ponder upon it. You give it permission, but then you start to make provision for it. You start to, uh, even if it's something that you say, well, I'm going to allocate funds to bring this to pass. I'm going to spend so much time a day to help this out. How does it happen if a guy wants to get in shape? Right? It's a thought that occurs to him or a girl. And then, then they want to get in shape and you think, oh, you know, what? I'd like to drop, I don't know, let's just say a wild number, like 50 pounds. And you want to drop that many pounds, and then you, you, you want to lose that. What, it, it, then you all of a sudden you give that thought permission. Say, How am I going to do this? You begin to think about it. Now you start making provision for that. They say, I'm going to have to spend so much time a day in order to do this. I'm going to have to eat a certain way. And I'm going to have to exercise a certain way. Now you're making provision for it. But now once the thought makes it, once you've made provision for it and you begin to act upon it, then, then all of a sudden this will begin to bear the fruits of the origin of that thought. Now it, begins to, now it begins to become knowing where that thought came from. You know the tree by the fruit that it bears, right? You know the thought by the fruit that it brings out. When you have a thought and you say, well, I don't know where this came from, all of a sudden you begin to walk in it, you begin to realize, uh-oh, it came from the wrong place. Because this ain't going right. It's time to take a few steps back. Right? Or maybe there's a thought that comes and you I'm not so sure exactly how this is going to work out. But it seems to line up with the word of God. You begin to take and all of a sudden it begins to bear fruit. You say, Lord, I thank you. I don't know how this all came to be. But I just started to act upon the thought that you gave me. And now it's starting to bear fruits. And it's got nothing to do with me. You gave the thought and you're the one that's multiplying it. Because if the thought came from the Antichrist, it only leads to one place. That's perversion. Satan is a perverter. He's not a creator. He can't create new fruits. No. He takes an old, withered up, dried old fruit and hangs it on his tree. Excuse the analogy. He can't create something. He just perverts it. The thoughts of the devil will always lead to perversion. But if the thought came... From Christ, it will manifest the promise. It will manifest the word of God. Because if it came from God, it came from the word. And it, with the fruits of it will bear fruits of the word. Fruits of the spirit. I want to just pull this out into a, into a, a, a chart for you so we can dwell on this for a few moments. Just so you can see the, the first three steps of a thought, the maturing of a thought, it's exactly the same. Whether the thought came from the devil or whether it came from God, it starts out as a vision of something that could be. And you've got to decide whether I want to take that thought. And then you begin to act upon that thought, and it begins to bear the fruit of the thought. Now, I want to just stop here for a moment and, and, and say this. If at any moment of a thought, at any stage, whether you say, I've, I've given this thought permission, I've, I'm, I'm starting to work in this thought, and I'm starting to realize it came from the wrong place. 
and you begin to realize that at any moment you realize it's wrong, you ought and that you ought to have rejected it when it was first presented to you, you can reject it right there. Even after you've given it permission, you can still reject it. Even after you've made provision for it, you can still reject it. You don't have to finish it through and follow it through into perversion. And even after it's come to a place of perversion, you can still reject it. Because that's the grace of God. The, 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 the truth behind it, though, is, is found in Job chapter 4 where he says, Even as I have seen they that plow iniquity and then sow in wickedness, they reap the same. In other words, you reap what you sow. If you give that thought permission, you're going to reap what you sowed. If it was an evil thought, the devil wants to come back and torment with you, but you like that thought. I gave you that thought, but you like it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to you again. Let me use a very simple example as a man, with, a man that would struggle with lust. If a man has a struggle with lust and the devil gives him a thought to look at it at a a woman that's not dressed properly, I'll just say it that way, to look at those things, that's a prevision. He ought to reject it, as Brother Brown would talk about, and turn his head right there. And immediately look the other direction. Why? Because that's the instinct in him. But that was the thought that came from God. But another thought came in at the same time that said, look. That thought came from the devil. To look. So then all of a sudden you can give that thought permission and look. And all of a sudden you go, oh God, what did I do? You stopped right there at permission. And you took a step back and repented of it. But then all of a sudden later on, you brothers will know what I'm talking about. Later on that night and all of a sudden you're laying in your bed and that thought comes back to you. And the devil says, you liked that. You gave that permission that time. But you can point him back and say, but I repented of it. See, you've, re- you've reaped what you've sowed because he's reminded you that you reaped something there and now you've got to sow it, but at the same time, you can still point back to the Lord and say it's over now. Why? Because you've repented of it. It's finished now regardless of how far it's gone. But then if you take that step further where now all of a sudden you begin to give provision for it and you begin to think about that girl and you begin to think about when she comes back, maybe I'll get a second look or a third look or a fourth look. Now you're making provision for where can I position myself to see her in the best way and all these things. You're going to reap what you sow. Now all of a sudden you're... Fast forward to your own bedroom and you're there in your own bed and the devil begins to go, you remember that? Oh, and you got a second look and you got, oh my, and you're going, oh Lord, back out. It's time to reverse the process here and go, Lord, I've reaped what I've sowed, but I'm not taking this any further into perversion, which now he wants to plant a thought in your mind saying, but you can see it all over again. It's on your phone. You can see all over here, it's on your computer, it's on this, it's on that. You could do this, you could do that. What is it? Back out of it before it goes to that. Back out of it. And even if you, by, the, by some God forbid, you fall and fall into that perversion, still you can fall flat on your face before God and say, Lord, forgive me. I gave that thought permission and I walked in a way that wasn't right. You say, are you reaping what you sow worse at that point? Absolutely, because you can't get those images out of your mind. Let me just take a couple examples here. We'll stop for a minute. I'll take a couple examples. If you, if, you, if you turn off the slideshow for just a, a moment there, brother. But I want to look at the, the, in the, the detail of the life of David in the Scripture. gives us so much insight into this process. 
of how a thought can, can, can uh, mature in the mind of an individual. And we find that David, one time when he was running from Saul, David went into Philistia. He went into the land of the Philistines and he went there for refuge. Right? He was running from Saul. And the thought started perhaps as something that seemed well thought out. Something that seemed like a good purpose. He was concerned perhaps about the well-being of his men and their wives and their goods. And they're always running around from place to place and everybody's getting tired. Maybe if we go and pledge our allegiance over here, even if it's just on the outside because we don't really mean it. We're going to go and pledge our allegiance to the Philistines and they'll give us some protection. Then we don't have to run from Saul so much. I mean, it seems fairly innocent. It seems like, you know what, we're just going to run in all the time in David's heart. He's saying, I'm going to trick them. Because we know he went down and they gave him the city of Ziklag. And he went out and started killing the Philistines' allies without them finding out about it. But still, the thought started out in that way. And it began to lead from one place to another until finally he, he gives them that. And now he finds himself marching with the Philistine army against his own brethren. Now it's led, I'll say it this way, all the way to perversion where he ought not to be fighting his brother. He should be fighting on the side of his brother. But now he's up against them. And now he's in, he finds this place and the grace of God comes on the scene and then the, the, the king sends him back to Ziklag and says, you know what, they're not comfortable with you bringing up the rear, you go back on to Ziklag. So he goes back there to Ziklag, you find this, the, 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 the story in Samuel, the first chapter, first chapter, first book of Samuel. And uh, as he goes back to Ziklag, we find out he finds it all in smoldering ruins. The enemy had come and taken it. Why? It all started with a thought. That didn't seem too bad. That put his wife and children into a city on their own. Vulnerable to the enemy. That now all of a sudden he's going, now what do I do? But at this point, David falls on his face and begins to repent. It comes all the way to the point where his men are ready to stone him. Because of a thought. But finally it comes to the place where he falls on his face before God and God begins to show him, pursue, go after it, and retrieve it. He was going to reap what he sowed. He did because he's down there, he's fighting, and now he's got this horrible moment where his men are ready to mutiny him, but the grace of God comes on the scene. And he begins, he goes down and he restores and he re recovers all that was his. In another place in the, in the life of David, when David was hiding in the caves, there came Saul into the cave to, to have a nap, and David and his men were in there, and a thought came to him from his nephew Joab. Oh, the devil loves doing that. Then he's got some credibility. When it's not just him putting thoughts in your mind, when he can get your brother to say something to you. Whew, now he's like, i got a leg up. Because now it comes with some weight behind it. Right now it's, it's, it's Joab saying, hey, you should go down and take his life. The God has delivered him into your hands. But the thought wasn't from God. He said, how dare I touch God's anointed? And even the little bit of permission, he didn't give the full thought permission. Just a little bit where he said, I'll just go down and cut off a little bit of his robe. Even that smote his heart. Where he said, I should not have given it an ounce of thought more. Because the thought came from the wrong place. Regardless of who the vessel was, it came from the devil. Amen. And we ought not to give that any thought whatsoever. Don't give it any permission whatsoever. Just reject it right at the provision of it. We want to look at another time just to hammer it right down. We'll look at two more with David and Bathsheba. 
What in the world was he doing? Finds himself up on a rooftop looking. There's a beautiful woman having a bath. Let me just say it. He's got a lot of wives by this time. He could have lost after any one of them. It wouldn't have been any trouble. You with me? I know it's not jump up and down and preach and have a wonderful time. No, but, but it's good for us. He could have lusted after any one of them, but instead he found this woman Bathsheba, and maybe the first thought of his mind was, turn your head and eat. Oh, but she's so pretty. And he began to look back again. And as he began to look back again to that, then the devil began to anoint him more. What did he begin to do? He began to have provision. He began to make provision for it. We begin to say, how am I going to make this happen? You know, I'm the king. I'm just going to invite her over, you know. We'll just, I'd like to see her a little closer. <laughs> Don't ever find yourself in that place. I'm just going to go by the way of this prostitute, and I'm, I'm just going to witness. Lord, if you ain't in it. But here he finds himself, and he invites her in, and we find they ended up, they sleeping together. And then what happens, and now where's it led to? Now he's already got perversion on his hands. He's already committed adultery. He's got all these other wives he could have had no problem, but he's got this one that now he's committed adultery, and now he's in this place where he's going, now who do I do? And still, instead of repenting, he goes, I'm going to have to get the Hittite back here. Get his, get his wife back. Get his wife, his, her husband back here. Get him back here. When he comes back, he just tends to devise a plot where he says, he won't sleep with her. He's making so much provision for this. It's just going on and on and on. It's, the, the thought is just maturing and maturing and maturing until finally it comes to a place where he's having a baby with her and he can't get her husband to sleep with her and, and all these things. And now all of a sudden he says, all right, take this message. And oh my, the shrewdness of the devil that he finally, because the, the thought that he gives David is give the message to Uriah and give the, the message is his own death warrant and have him deliver to Joab. When you give yourself over to that thinking, the devil just multiplies it all the way down until finally now all of a sudden David's got murder on his hands. Now the, the, the thought has borne so much fruit, David has to reap what he sows. He's still a, he's, he's, he's a, he's a man after God's own heart, God will say. He's done so much good. He's been a righteous king. And now because of what's happened right here, he still has to reap what he sows. And even though he falls on his face in repentance, the, 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 the sowing costs him that firstborn son of that relationship. It dies and he falls on his face. And I know there's so many types, there's so much you go into there. But as he falls on his face and what happens now, the thought has come to that place. But he's still able by the grace of God to back out of all of those stages. But it costs him over and over and over again. But it all just started with a lovely thought. I want to just take one on the good side for a moment. Elijah and Elisha. When Elijah came by the way of Elisha, he just threw a mantle on his shoulder and carried on. The rest of it took place in, Elijah's, in Elisha's mind. What was Elisha going to do? The thought was presented to him. It came from God. Here's the mantle. Follow me. But it was just a thought. Elijah never said anything. 
It was just a thought in the mind of Elisha where what it, now he's got, he could have taken it, he could have rejected it and thrown off the mantle and said, what do you think you are? I got oxen here, I got fields, I got servants, I got parents, I got all these things going on for me. I, I'm not doing anything, I, I got my life right here. He could have done that, he could have rejected that thought. And I'm sure the devil was right there to do it because you find when Brother Branham stood up there in the final test of his ministry when there was a couple that were going to make out and misbehave in the front row and all these things that right away said, whatever you say will happen, the devil was right there. Say this, say that, say this, say that, say this, say that, trying to cloud on anything else. But we find that even though he's pumping thoughts in from outside with a born-again believer, there's something on the inside. That pushes out. See, he can't block that. He tries so hard to block anything from coming from the outside. That's why it's so important. you got to get the circumcision of the Holy Spirit because then it's something on the inside that he can't block out anymore that pushes out. Hallelujah. Oh, my. In the message, Job, the Bible says, God put Satan almost co-equal with him. Satan taking the things of God and perverting them into the evil thoughts. And through there began to pervert things into evil instead of good. That's the thoughts of the devil. He took what was meant to be good. Thou shalt not surely die. Something that was meant for good. You'll die. Oh, not quite. Just perverted it just a little bit. Go with me to Romans chapter 1. Are you with me still? I'm not uh, really just ministering this. I pray it would help you. In your walk with the Lord, as it was helping me as I was just studying it, and it's been months, but just as the Lord began to drop things in, because Satan's so shrewd, and he's so crude, and he likes to trick you into thinking you did it. He likes to put you in the place where you think, man, I'm just a horrible person. I thought all those thoughts, and it just keeps coming back again, and it's just some terrible thing, and I'm not going to be a Christian. That's the lies of the devil. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that they may be known of God is manifest in them for God. Because of that, that which may be known of God is manifest in them for God hath shown it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And I just want to say this, because I used to think that this you had to be in a message church to come, and then it would be fall away and all these things. No. The message of William Branham, the signs that were given, clearly declared to the world so that they are without excuse. And you got theologians and people nowadays are like, oh man, the, the visions of William Branham are being fulfilled, but you know, we don't like anything after 1960. 
You know, they want to try and talk about the visions of 1933, right? You got theologians. You've all sent the videos, all right? Don't get quiet now. And the, the theologians want to say, listen, man, look, at the, the, this guy, he, sees, he prophesied these things. He seen it in 1933. Cars would become the egg-shaped, and they'd be seeing the, the woman in a purple and all these things, and they're putting two and two together and all these things. But they're then in, they have like this disclaimer at the end of their video that says, but you know, we don't agree with everything he teaches. They're without excuse. They've seen the, the message. They've seen the signs. They've seen all these things. But they've, 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 God's revealed himself plainly as the son of man again in the end time. And they turned it down. And he says this in verse 21. He says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. And their foolish heart was darkened. How did it begin? They became vain in their imaginations. Brother Branham preached against it over and over again. He says, why are you calling this mental telepathy? I know some of this audience will say, you're saying I guess that. Why are you saying that? I could call your name, don't you know? Over and over again. Why? Their imaginations are going to come out. Oh, yeah, he wrote that. Prayer. Oh, yeah, he did it. Oh, yeah, he did that. Until finally one guy said, I'll prove it to you. He come up to the prayer line with something written on his card, and he didn't have, and he got it. Now it says, professing themselves to be wise, they become as fools. Well, that's pretty clear. It says, and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and to four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness, to the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed, where did it all start? In the heart. As a man thinketh in his heart. It didn't just start on the outside, it started in the heart. Who changed the truth of God into a lie. And worshipped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So in other words, he's just laying out and saying, listen, there's things that happened here. They were showing the glory of God. They were showing the signs. They were showing God plainly. And they were showing who the Godhead was. And still, I hope I get that off my mind. When Brother Branham was there in Chicago, they set a trap for him. They wanted to challenge him on the Godhead. He came up and he preached the Godhead to them and no one would dispute it. Did they believe it though? Oh, outwardly they professed. They said, we all want to come down and be baptized. How many did it? Well, because in their heart, their imaginations of their heart was vain. It wasn't right before God. And because of that, their heart became darkened. Now this word imaginations, I want to just break this down a little bit more for you. Imaginations, the word in the Greek goes to dialogue, dialogismos, dialogismos, if I can say that right, which is a discussion or a debate or a consideration. In other words, this is a thought that has taken on some maturity. Saying it wasn't just that the devil put a thought in their mind and they thought some evil thought, but rather they begin to think upon these things. They begin to ponder on these things. They begin to give provision to these thoughts. And he says it's just, and, and, and it just, it's just it's not just a thought that has occurred, but it's been developed, it's been matured, it's been enhanced by a person or persons. The maturity of this condition, the full maturity of this condition is what we read in Genesis chapter 6 in the, in the antediluvian world. 
The full maturity where now, Romans, it says it is coming, it's come to this and God will give them up and all these things. The full maturity, if you go back, when God said it repented him that he ever made man and the wickedness of man has always been before him and all these things. And now he says, why, what was it? The imaginations of their heart, of the thoughts of their heart was always continually evil. And that word in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, the imagination of the thoughts, the word there is yes there. Which is to be a declared or a decided frame of mind. Or a conceived purpose. As it was in the days of Noah. We should come to that again. Where sin and sodomy is the conceived purpose. It is the decided state of mind. And God says it's continually evil. Not just a passing thought that you reject, but continually. Go with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you take it, I'll just drop it in this way. If you take it through the word of God, you find out that the word imaginations and the imaginations of a man is incredibly well used. Satan loves to use your imagination. But there is a godly purpose to your imagination. The one place I have the quote, I don't know if I'll get to it, so I'll just say it. Brother Branham says, think God's healing thoughts. Where does that start? In your imagination. That you put an image of yourself being well before yourself. That instead of your body outside, it's subject to sickness. It's an unredeemed flesh. It's going to get sick. It has gotten sick. It will get sick again until, the, until I get a body change. But in my mind, because of what's within me, it comes out. And I begin to think the, th- the healing thoughts of God. And I begin to just constantly, but I'm saying, repeat it over and over and over in your mind. By stripes, I'm healed. By stripes, I'm healed. By stripes, I'm already healed. Till finally, it brings the body into subjection. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3, like I, said, I don't know how far I'm going to get. And I, am I over time? All right, give me a few more minutes, if you will. Is that okay? Okay. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3 says this. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. I love the way Paul, when he's talking, he just switches between things. Because sometimes he's talking about walking in the spirit. He's talking about your spiritual walk. And sometimes he's talking about walking in the flesh. He's literally talking about putting one foot in front of the other. Though you're walking in the flesh, he says, we don't war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringeth it, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now listen, when he says casting down every imagination, that's not saying your imagination is inherently evil. No. But he says the, imagine, the imaginations or the thoughts of your imagination, the thoughts that are in your mind that you're imagining that exalt themselves against the word of God, cast that down. Because the word there, that word imagination is actually the word in the Greek logismos. Logismos, which is simply a thought. In other words, he's saying, listen, 
Don't wait until it matures to a place where you've given it provision and it becomes something that's decided upon, something that's growing legs, so to speak, something that's growing roots and all these things. No, right when it's just a thought, cast it down. Right when it's just come into a moment of giving you a prevision of something that could have been or could be casted out at that moment if it's against the word of God. Don't let it have roots. Don't let it fester. Don't give it permission. Just cut it off. Brother Branham says in spoken word is the original seed. He said, how can you use your own thoughts and God manifest himself through you? You can't take your own thoughts. In other words, you can't take your own ideas that often come from the devil and begin to put those into motion and have God use that. It's got to be the thoughts of God as a man thinketh in his heart coming out. Hallelujah. Here's the thought right here. In order to stay with God, stay gentle. God is gentle. In order to stay with God, stay with love. God is love. Stay meek. Not not never being self-sufficient. Always rely upon Him. Never use your own mind. Take His thoughts. Let His thoughts be your thoughts. Take them into your carnal mind and repeat them over. I think this is up on the screen if you actually put that slideshow back up. Take those thoughts. In other words, they didn't originate in your carnal mind. The thoughts of God that come from the word of God, that come from the spirit that is within you and begins to push out, put it in your carnal mind. David says, I want to meditate upon your word day and night. I want to write your promises, your your statutes upon my bedpost. I want to do all these things. Why? Because there's something in him, there's something in a believer that wants to meditate and repeat them over and over again. And I can tell you right now, the first thing the devil is going to tell you when you're doing that is, you're bored. I've been there. Where you're trying to meditate on the Lord and you're trying and the devil just comes in. This is boring, isn't it? We're human. Yeah. Cast that thought down. Because you know what he wants to replace it with, Right? He wants to give you something flashy that you can watch. You can scroll through. You can look through. And it could just take your mind off anything eternal. He wants to try and replace it with that. But you've got a point. You are the one that has to give that thought permission. Let your thoughts be, let let my thoughts be your thoughts. Oh God, take all my doubts away. Let my thoughts be your thoughts. And you sick people. Do that as we're speaking. Just take away, cast away your, the thought of the sickness. Oh, we all get that, don't we? Oh, you don't know what's wrong with me, brother. Put that away. We know. Put that away. Take God's healing thoughts. Let them become your thoughts. Well, you're set for a miracle at that point. You're set for healing at that point. Why? Because all of a sudden, your soul is bringing your spirit subject to itself. Now, I need to, I need to move forward. Because this, this scripture has to be put in here. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit to the joints and the marrow is a discerner of the thoughts. I'm going to say this, put this in here, Brother Brown does it. Of the mind and the intents of the heart. 
In other words, when you're looking at it, you're saying, oh, you feel so condemned because the devil keeps putting thoughts in there. God knows the difference. The thoughts in the, the, in the spirit realm is the word anathemesis, which is the examination or deliberation of a thought. He knows the difference between that and the intents of the thought of the heart, which is an anoia, which is the moral understanding of an individual. In other words, he knows the difference of a passing thought and who you really are. Jesus, who is the word, knows the difference. And he says here in the message, the token, he says, if the life of Jesus Christ lives in the person, they become identified with him. It's Christ in you, not a church member, not a system, but a resurrected power. It's the Holy Ghost is the token upon you and your life says amen to every scripture, period. The promise is written in there, period. What's he talking about? Not here, right here. He says, and you are not yourself no more, period. You are Christ, period. You don't think your thoughts. You don't think your thoughts. You say, I think. No, you have no thought coming. The life that was in Christ is in you. The mind that was in Christ is in you. The works that was in Christ is in you. The Christ himself is in you. You are dead. Your life is hidden in God through Christ, sealed there by the Holy Ghost. You're not your own. Hallelujah. But I want to just, oh, I've got to take this further. The promise, the two statements he writes here, the promise is written there, right here. In other words, you up here have no thought coming. Future tense. Okay? Because oftentimes you want to think, well, I got the bad physical illness. I know I had an experience with God, so why do these memories keep coming back? Why do I still struggle with certain things? Why do I still have a struggle with these old affections and it comes back all the time? And my imagination comes back. Why? Because you're sealed in your heart and your soul. But now he says, you got no more thought coming up here. It's no more future tense. He says another place, when the new birth comes in, and it cannot till there's a death first. People don't want to die. They don't want to, to the simple leadings of the Holy Spirit. They want to take their own thinking of it. See, remember the first quote I started out with? What, how do you get to intervale? Self-will. You've got to die. You've got to lay down your own thinking. You can't think your own thoughts, he says. You've got to think his thoughts. Let the mind that was in Christ be in you. Amen. He thinks God's thoughts brings God's blessings, God's power to you. And it'll make a mess out of you, as far as the world is concerned, but it'll bring new life. It'll bring resurrecting life. It'll bring new thoughts. See, now there's future tense. It will bring new thoughts. It brings a new person. It'll bring a new faith. It'll bring you from death to life. Praise be to God. Now, we all remember this, right? I just put it in your memory at the beginning. Restored up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Amen. Fulfilled the scripture. But now, this is a born-again believer. See, so there's five senses that are missing behind you. I know, we'll get to those. This is someone that's just had the new birth. 
They've got faith in their hearts. There's no more doubt. There's no more unbelief. There's something in them. It's a wonderful thing. But you find even in all of that, you still got this thing called a memory. You still got this other thing called affections. You still got this other thing called conscience. You still got reasonings. You all know what the last one is. You still got imagination. You still got all these things. Now, he says that he gives you a new spirit. He renews your spirit, right? Gives you a renewed spirit. And in that, he, he, he takes all the, the misuses of it, and, and it seemingly gets rid of them. Because you have a new spirit. But that spirit requires maintenance. This spirit in here, you're sealed to the day of your redemption. Unless you go fishing every day of your life, you'll still be saved. But down around here, this is going to require the new spirit. The, the renewed spirit is going to require some maintenance because in comes those thoughts. And I really did darken that cloud up. Nice. The Antichrist thoughts that begin to come in and they begin to creep in. And all these things start keeping back up. This is what you call it, a new creature. That's what it says. When someone gives their life to the Lord and they get baptized and they give their heart to God, they make that decision, that's when you start praying for them. They're going to need it now. Because now the devil wants to come and confuse it and say, see, I brought that old culture of yours back up. You sure you're born again? Are you really sure God did something for you? Remember that old complex you had? It's still not really gone away. Oh, you were always jealous of that person. Now you still look at them and go, oh, I really wish. The Bible says when you get the new birth, that's when it starts. That's the starting of a process. Now you're under a tutorship. Now you're learning. Now you're getting somewhere. Now it's not just coming to church and getting preached at. Now it's a daily walk. But it requires maintenance, and that maintenance is called the Word. Read your Bible. There's another part to that. Pray every day. You need that to start to push out. As the Word comes in, and then the, then the, the Holy Spirit begins to exercise itself, you find that the, all of those things, and all of those worries, and all of those, uh, those jealousies, and the pride, and the condemnation just begin to fade. It's a walk with God. Well, that's small, sorry. But it says here in the, in, the, in the Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12, I want to try and move a little bit quicker here because I'm out of time in about three minutes. So seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And not as Moses, but who, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, but their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away with in Christ. In other words, until you accept Jesus Christ, you personally, you cannot see or understand the kingdom of God. Until you have a new birth. Until Christ takes the veil away, you cannot understand what is being written there. That's why when I talked to you, I was listening to a guy the other day, real nice fellow, but talking to him, he started to talk about the Old Testament. How do you explain the Old Testament? these things? I'm like, man... Finally, I just said, all of that is explained in the atonement. So I'm not sure if all of it's explained in the atonement. I say, yes, because you've got to get there first. <laughs> Until you get there, you're not going to understand the rest of that. But now he says, but even unto this day, that when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart, the Jews, nevertheless, 
When it shall turn to the Lord, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into his same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. I shared this with the young people, and so they know where I'm going with this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 18, if you read it from the Amplified Bible, which I thought was absolutely phenomenal, puts it in such plain speech. Paul says, we use great plainness of speech. Then he starts writing things that you're going, Lord, do I understand that? <laughs> but in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, in the Amplified Bible, it says, And all of us, as with unveiled face, because we continued to behold the word of God, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. We are constantly being transfigured into his own image in ever-increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. He's the Spirit and he is the Word. And we find that, that, that in all of that, what Paul is writing, he's saying we need to keep continuing to look in the Word of God so we can become like him. And then Brother Branham would take in the message, why? He says, remember, when a man is saved, he says, like this button here. This one right here. Little button. And he says, becomes eternal life in your heart. That's God. When a man's saved, so that's not predestination he's talking about. When a man's saved, that, uh, like this little button here, becomes eternal life in his heart. That's God. As you're able to push out all the roots of bitterness. Now... Now we're getting into a spirit realm. Because in the soul, it's just unbelief or faith. But bitterness and roots of bitterness take, take place, and they, they leave a lot of scars in a person's spirit. And he says it can push out all the roots of bitterness. Then God begins to spread in you. Well, that's a good virus. He says, then you become a son of God. He says, a man was made to be God, to be a God. Do you know that? He's in the image of God. He's a son of God. He's like him. He is given a domain in Genesis 1 verse 26, his domain over the whole earth. That's right. He ruled the earth. He ruled the animal kingdom, all the other kingdoms, all but the kingdom of God above. He was God. Small g. He was an amateur God. He was made in the image of God, made like God. He made, he had hands like, and feet like God. He was in the image of God. What happened? Because he disbelieved God's word, it sent him right back out of shift for himself. What happened? He had a thought that came in. And he had to reject the word of God in order to accept that thought. He couldn't take it and say, well, I like what God's given me, but I just want this little bit extra. You've got to get rid of all that to accept that. He says, then when you, he says, but God's trying to bring him back. Hallelujah. And when you have faith, faith is a revelation. Faith comes by hearing the word. He says, and accept him, my brother. Just let that little light begin to grow when you take all the roots of bitterness, doubt, and bitterness out, yielding yourself to the Spirit. Then you begin to become a son of God, a daughter of God. Begin to grow in the grace of God. The Holy Spirit begins to build his kingdom within you. Oh, my. So now, all of a sudden, there's something in this picture I want to point out to you. It's terribly missing. And that's that right there. It's called prayer. 
You have to read your Bible. You have to pray every day. The reading your Bible, the Word of God comes from the outside in, but the prayer comes from the inside out and blows out the flues, as Brother Branham would call it, and it takes and it gets rid of all of that antichrist, and that little seed within you that was just a bud, it begins to push out. Did you see that? It begins to expand out where now it's not just in your spirit, but it begins to pulsate out into your spirit, not just in your soul, but pulsate out into your spirit around and begin to push out. Why? Because the word of God becomes in you. And the word in you is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we find in that as it begins to push out, it takes that insanity and begins to turn it into virtue. It takes all that culture begins to turn into knowledge of the word of God, adding to your faith virtue, to your virtue knowledge, to your knowledge temperance, to your temperature begins to add patience, and to your patience it begins to add godliness, and to your godliness it begins to add brotherly kindness, and to that begins to add all the promises of God. Into what? Into your spirit. What's your memory for? It's to remember the word of God. It's to have the knowledge that he put in you. Amen. What is your affections for? It's for brotherly kindness. It's for more than that. It's to set your affection on things above. There's only one thing that could do that. That's the life of Christ within you as it begins to expand out, to push out. And it turns that imagination from jealousy, turns it into inspiration. Or something strikes you and you begin to inspire. You begin to give that thought permission. You begin to give a provision for it. It begins to develop into something like, I don't know, perhaps a skit for the young people to do. It came from the imagination. And the imagination, it begins to think about going on the other side. What will it be like in that theophany? All those things that were once terrible all those things that were the perverted use of your senses, God-given senses in the image of God, they've got a godly purpose. They've got a godly reason so that you can have something in you that now it begins to now not just in your faith, not just in your soul realm, but in your spirit realm on the outside. You begin to think like him. You begin to talk like him. You begin to act like him. Why? Because it's second nature to you because that new spirit is taking a hold. It's renewed day by day, day by day. Hallelujah. Sorry, I got preaching there. Now I got to find out where I'm at. Why? Why is this so important? I'll say this. Because this is not the battleground. The soul is not the battleground. God chose the soul. Satan chose the mind. That's the battleground. You need to understand that's where the battle's taking place. Yeah, I'm born again. Praise be to God. Wonderful. Now let God keep working on it. Let him change that, those, those reasons. Let him change all those things. Now I'm going to go back to this thought here for a moment. Where it's God, the thoughts of God. There's only one life, one spirit, eternal spirit, one eternal life. My goodness, we were attributes in his thinking. The thoughts is expressed. It becomes a word. Each individual in here that possesses eternal life was before the foundation of the world. We were in God's thinking. God had a prevision of a bride. He gave it to Brother Branham. Where he showed Brother Branham a prevision or a preview of the bride of Jesus Christ. That wasn't the bride that was existing at that moment. It was a preview. 
And then he said, well, let's look at a preview of the Church of America, the Church of this and the Church of that. But around come the bride again. What was it? It was the prevision that God had in his mind in the beginning. But it wasn't just that he had a prevision. It says it's the only way it could be because you're an attribute. Or in other words, God gave that prevision permission. He claimed that vision as his own. That God had a thought and he began to think upon these things. What was his thoughts? Mm. David writes it in Psalms chapter 40. He says, Many, O Lord my God, are thy wondrous works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward, they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. In other words, if we were not just a passing thought in the mind of God, but he caught it. And he began to ponder upon it. What would you be, Mary Wall? What would you be, Bethia Fresh? What would you be, Sarah Friesen? What would you be, Daryl Walsh? You go down the list. What would you be? God thought about it and shaped you and sculpted you in his mind before the foundation of the world. And that is an attribute of God. And that's an expression of a thought. He says it becomes a word. And the word has taken life. It's eternal. That's God making provision for it. It was what brother said. He watched over your great grandparents, your great 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 grandparents. He watched over this one. What is it all to come down so that that attribute, the maturing of the thoughts of God, you're created in His image, so that that attribute would bring forth exactly what it was in the beginning. He says, and in the same principle that the great Son of God, the Redeemer, we become sons and daughters of God. In other words, we're manifesting the will. Of the original thought. Not as a sinner. But you were predestinated. As Ephesians 1 says. Unto the adoption. In other words. Predestination points back. To the origins. Points back to that prevision. That God had. That attribute. That he gave permission. That he began to ponder upon those things. He began to develop that thought. It points back to all that. For a purpose. So that it could manifest it. In the adoption. Of sons and daughters of God. Oh my, so that through the same spirit we'd come into his image. Oh my. Isn't God so wonderful? Let's stand to our feet. In the message, Revelation chapter 4, number 2, 1961. And he says his New Year's message, and he says after he goes through and he explains, the body has its senses, the spirit has its senses, the soul has its sense. And he says, but oh my, he says, do you see, God declares himself. He loves to. He's Jehovah. He likes to make his self known. I'm so glad of it. Yes, sir. He made himself known to me. I know he has to, he has to you. Some of you young people just converted, yet you might not know him in the power and the great things that these older Christians do. He says, but you're coming right onto it. Just you're coming right up the king's highway. Just keep looking, keep pressing as hard as you can. Then he says, run, run, run. No more walking. 
Don't just all oh, get there when I get there. Run, church. We've come so close that the glory of God is with, veiled within human flesh once again. Just start running. He said, I'm just a young person. I don't understand what the things. Brother Eddie's got testimonies. Brother, Brother uh, uh, Lenny's got testimonies. Brother Harold, he's got testimonies. Brother Allen, he's got testimonies. I don't got any of those. Just run. Let God do the work. Let God bring those things on the scene. And you stay, stay, stay completely sold out to him as we read in 1 Chronicles. Let my son have a perfect heart. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Keep your heart before God. Satan's going to inundate you with thoughts. But God wants to give you thoughts. That's why you've got to read your Bible. Pray every day. You should read at least two or three times a day, Brother Branham says. Don't just once say, oh, I'm in the morning, I read a verse or two, it's wonderful. You know, we got that. That's so easy nowadays. You got apps. Pops up daily verse. Yeah, Satan likes to get in those apps too. You ever figure out that after about 30 days it repeats itself? He ain't got no problem with you knowing 30 verses in the Bible. Pick up the word. Read a chapter. Read another chapter. So I can only focus for a chapter, Brother Andrew. Good, put it down, come back in a couple hours. Read another chapter. you got to get the Word of God in you. Why? Because it's bringing that spirit subject to the Word of God. Because the same spirit that dwells in you, which raised up Christ from the dead, it will quicken or bring to life your mortal body. Oh, my. Don't you love the Lord? I don't want to preach too much. Now I could preach. After we've taught, now we'll preach. Now. We'll leave that to the other one that looks similar to I tonight. Amen. Why don't we sing that song? I'm walking up the king's highway. My way gets brighter. My load gets lighter. My way gets brighter. My way gets lighter. Walking up the king's highway. There's joy in knowing with him I am going. Walking up the King's Highway Oh, it's a highway to heaven None can walk up there But the pure in heart It's a highway to heaven I'm walking up the King's me, angels to guide me, walking up the King's Highway. Oh, it's a highway to heaven. None can walk up there but the pure in heart. It's a highway to heaven. I'm walking up the King's Highway. If you're not walking, just start while I'm talking. Walking up the King's Highway, and there'll be a blessing you'll be possessing. I'm walking up the King's Highway. Oh, it's a highway to. 
walking up the king's highway. If you're not walking, just start while I'm talking. Walking up the king's highway. And there'll be a blessing you'll be possessing. Walking up the king's highway. trying to sing in a different way. We need to start running. Start running up the King's Highway. I'm not walking the last mile. I'm running the last mile home. Hey, man, I'm not interested in dilly-dallying, making it in by the skin of my teeth. Lord, let me run into your arms. Hey, man, I feel like singing another song. I know it's Sunday morning, not Sunday night, but is it okay to rejoice a bit? You're okay with that? All right. Good, good. I don't know if we have the words in there, but the devil don't like no praising around here. This is a good service to sing it in. He won't put thoughts in your mind say, I don't want no praising. Just reject that. I don't care what the devil don't like. I'm going to praise him with all my might. Amen. Do you know how to play that? Oh, man. I play my guitar. No, I don't have a guitar. Yeah. Amen. Well, the devil don't like no praising around here. Oh, the devil don't like no praising around here. Oh, but I don't care what the devil don't like. I'm going to praise my God with all of my might. The devil don't like no praising around here. Oh, the devil don't like no praising around here. Well, I serve the devil don't like no praising around here. Singing. Sir, the devil don't like no singing around here. Oh, the devil don't like no singing around here. Oh, but I don't care what the devil don't like. I'm going to praise my God with all of my mind. The devil don't like no singing around here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Sometimes you just got to let loose and let the Holy Spirit move. Amen. Amen. I love that song. Brother Donnie Reagan sings a wonderful version of it, just under the anointing of the Spirit. But you'll all be singing it this afternoon. You'll all be thinking about tuning in your head. That's good. Let it come from the inside. Because the devil don't like no praising around here. 